You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. affected all of mankind, but it affected all of creation as well. And man chose to leave the perfect design of his creator in order to pursue having the full control of his life. The snake lied when he presented this temptation to man. And the deception was that somehow they would benefit from this uh, disobedience and that there would be no consequences. Genesis 3 presents the dilemma of sin and death. But then in verse 15 is where God communicates that there's a solution to this sin problem. And the solution is God himself. Genesis 3.15 says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And the Jewish rabbis, they understood that this passage was referring to the Messiah. The promise that an anointed one from God would come and would destroy Satan. He would be superficially wounded, but in the end, he would crush Satan, who was behind that temptation that brought about the fall of man. Well, after being expelled from the garden, the story of man living out his life separated from God continues. And we see jealousies and hatred and murder and the worship of idols. But the overall theme is that man was living for himself, independent of God, trying to uh, be in full control of his life and the life of everyone around him. But check this out. Even in the midst of man's separation, the promise of the redemption continued. It persisted. God has always been faithful to his promise, and he continues to reach out to man even today. Well, following the line of Seth, that's Adam and Eve's son, we find Noah, and and then in Genesis 11, we get to Terah, which is the father of Abraham. You remember the story how Abraham's wife, Sarah, was childless, and she was in her golden years when the blessed Uh, when the the promise came to Abraham that through his seed, there would be a Messiah that would come and through him, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. And we remember how in the story that both Abraham and Sarah laughed because they had already given up on having any legacy of their own. The Bible tells us that even though Abraham laughed at first, He believed God. Now, the miracle didn't occur as quickly as he had expected. It took some time, but God was faithful, and the promise was fulfilled when Isaac was born. So now let's fast forward down the lineage of Abraham, and we get to this shepherd boy who is the youngest son of Jesse, and his name is David. And David is anointed as King by the prophet Samuel. And God, again, renews that promise, the seed through his lineage. And so the promise is made to David that not only would all the families 
of the earth be blessed, but that the seed, the Messiah, would have an everlasting kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, 12 tells us, I will raise up one of your descendants, your offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. And then he goes on, and at the end of that verse it says, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Now if we continue with the Jewish history, we find that there's a, a, about 265 years after David that the nation of Israel is increasingly becoming unfaithful to God and his covenant. And they turned their hearts to idolatry and had forsaken the plan of God, the plan that God had for them. And yet in the middle of all this corruption, a prophet emerges with a message from the Lord. Through the prophet Isaiah, God reestablishes that promise of Messiah and begins to give clues of how to identify him when he appears. Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now this prophecy was only one of over 300 messianic prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. A science and mathematics professor named Dr. Peter Stoner, he commissioned 600 of his students to figure out the probability that any human could fulfill just eight of the messianic prophecies. And the results of his endeavor were monumental. They found that the odds of one would be one chance in a hundred million billion. That just sounds like a made-up number. It's one with 17 zeros behind it. It's huge. Dr. Stoner said, say we take 100 million silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas. They would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir up the whole mass thoroughly. And then blindfold a man and tell him he must pick up one silver dollar. What do you think the odds would be of picking up the marked silver dollar? Just the same chance that the prophets would have of writing eight prophecies and having them come true in any one man. Jesus fulfilled 365 messianic prophecies. So point number two is the purpose of the Messiah. In Old Testament times, the prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil as they were set apart or consecrated to these three positions of responsibility. And the anointing was a, a sign that they had been chosen and set apart for the work that God had them to do. So let's look at these three roles. First is the role of the, a prophet. And a prophet is one who speaks for God, and he may speak future events and confront sin. Often prophets were killed for their message. The second role is a priest. A 
priest is a mediator or a bridge between God and human beings. Once a year, a priest would enter the, high, the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he would take with him the, the blood of the bulls and goats that was offered as a sacrifice. And he would bring it into the Holy of Holies. And it was to make up for his sins and the sins of the people. And then there's the role of a king. And a king is a person that rules over a territory with supreme authority. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people became a great nation when they were ruled by kings. So at the conclusion of the Old Testament, after the time of the prophet Malachi, there was a period of 400 years of silence. And during the silent, silent period, Israel was ruled by several different empires, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and then finally the Roman Empire. And the people of Israel during this time were yearning for deliverance. They were looking again for this promised Messiah who would come and establish his kingdom. Well, finally the silence is broken when the when Gabriel, the archangel, appears to this ordinary girl living in a small village. Her name is Mary. She's living in the small village of Nazareth, and she's engaged to a man named Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 30, the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and, you will, and he will be called the Son of God. And so Mary welcomed the miracle. And she responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And so Mary became pregnant. And when Joseph found out, he was about to break off their engagement. But the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word, the name Jesus means salvation. And when Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. Which brings us to our text. I know it was first on your outline, but it didn't really fit into this until now. So point number three is the perfect fulfillment that is found in Christ Jesus. Luke continues this historical narrative in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, 
And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This night, this event could have gone unnoticed. Just another couple having a baby in Nazareth. There were several babies born around this time because we see later that Herod sent an order to have everyone two years old and younger killed. Could have been overlooked, but God had a plan from before creation, and he followed that through all of the Old Testament up to this time. You think it was any coincidence that they had to register for taxes that didn't take place for a couple years later on this time when she was pregnant so that she would have her child in Bethlehem just like the prophecies foretold. Well, that night, shepherds appeared to... Uh, the angel appeared. The shepherd didn't appear. The angel appeared to some shepherds in a field outside and uh, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory sh- surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. And that's the same word that we get our gospel from, the good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. That right there is enough. If if that's the only prophecy ever told, that's enough to convince me that Jesus is the Messiah. Because an angel declared it. And because have you ever known anybody? Is there anybody in this room that is born of a virgin? No. All of history past and all of history forward, no one except Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, fits that description. The birth of Jesus was the miraculous fulfillment that God had planned before creation. Paul says that the mystery that was hidden throughout the ages has now been revealed in Jesus. He is our hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus is the one who has made things right. And it's through his death and resurrection that we are set free from the bondage of sin and death. He has crushed the head of the devil. And it's because of his love for us that God sent his one and only son into this world to be born of a virgin. Fully God, fully man. So that if we believe and place our trust in him, we will not perish, but we'll have eternal life. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the Messiah. 
And we see Jesus fulfilling the role of a prophet, priest, and king as a prophet. Jesus didn't just speak the words of God. He is the word. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, he tells us that the word became human and made his dwelling among us. He was fully, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. As a priest, Christ, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and bulls, entered the most holy place once and for all for, to secure the redemption of man. And as a king, Ephesians 1, 21 and 22 says he is far above any ruler of authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has put all things in under the authority of Christ and made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. We read in verse 25 of Jude that all glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. No, I'm not sure I ever thought of it this way, but when we say yes to God, we welcome His presence to come into our life and to do something that we can't do on our own. Mary said yes to God. She welcomed the miracle. And God's presence brought the miracle of life. So what is your miracle that you need today from God's presence? Is it the miracle of forgiveness? Miracle of healing and strength? Is it the miracle of peace in the midst of pain or joy in the midst of despair? Is it life in the midst of death? Whenever we say yes to God, God's presence brings that miracle into our life that only He can produce. What is the miracle of God's presence that you need today? Forgiveness for sin? Hope in the midst of a situation that seems beyond your ability to change? Is it a sense of purpose and direction for a life that seems to have stalled out? perhaps is to have a deeper faith and trust in God's perfect and unconditional love? And is it the ability to see that even in the midst of death, through Christ, there is life, life eternal? What miracle can God's presence bring to your life today? The Christmas story begins with Mary, an ordinary girl, saying yes to God and welcoming the miracle. And that's still the, sto the Christmas story for us today. When we open our ourselves up to God's presence and we welcome Jesus to change our life, will you welcome the miracle of Jesus this Christmas? Would you stand with me as we pray?
Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you have fulfilled your promise. Father, there were times when man turned his back and walked away. Father, and we've done that in our own lives where we've backed away and, and Father, we've resisted you. But Father, thank you for reaching out to us. Father, like the, the father of the prodigal son, you never gave up reaching out in love for us. And so, Father, right now, I just pray that if there's anyone here, Father, that needs to know with full assurance that you love them, that you have a purpose for them in their life, Holy Spirit, would you make that real in them right now? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.